So, um, so I guess that, uh, I mean, I think probably the, the most important thing that I, I think would be helpful is I want to kind of start by, by dispelling a myth and maybe I'll just throw this myth out to you right away, Carly, to see about, um, what your thought is. Have you ever had other doctors kind of throw out like, Oh, well, uh, my site's FDA approved, but there's these other options that work just as well. Like, how do you address that with patients? And how do you address the issue of like a, an FDA approval and why FDA approval is important compared to like something that sort of gets us close or maybe can do something that's similar, but has never really been studied in a, an FDA manner? Uh, there's kind of two things that I think about when I'm talking to patients, um, regarding the, and other doctors regarding that, um, mm-hmm. the FDA approval. Um, number one is I feel like parents, uh, value that a lot more than we may think they do. Um, they value that it's been through such a rigorous process of studies and that it's been studied in on kids in that manner. Um, with a lot of the other lenses that are not FDA approved for kids. Sure, they're safe and they've been studied in adults, but um, I think parents really understand that, you know, adults are not the same as kids. And so having that FDA um, approval and uh, backing is really important to them. Um, So I think that's important to remember for other practitioners. Um, And then secondly, I've worked now with, you know, I was doing myopia management before my site was available. So I've used those other lenses. Um, and now I've been able to compare for the last year patients that are in the, the non-approved lenses versus patients that have been in my site for a year. And I can honestly say that the my site kids are happier because their vision is better. I don't have to prep them as much with these lenses are going to feel kind of funky. I just act like they're totally normal contacts. I don't need to tell them, you know, your peripheral vision is going to be a little weird and you'll have to get used to that, which is something I did have to do with the other lenses. Um, And then the effectiveness uh, for all of my patients, I've maybe had to make one or two adjustments through the year um, for, you know, I think I have at least 25 kiddos in the lenses and they, um, they're staying stable. And so to me, that's most important. And that's what I really try to tell other doctors as well is like, you know, put it to the test and remember that, um, you know, that FDA approval is good for safety, but it also is good for the effectiveness of the lens. And we shouldn't, we shouldn't forget or discount that, um, when we are, trying to explain to patients or when we are ready to try some management options. Hello and welcome to the Chris Will Podcast on iCode Media. Today I had a great conversation with Dr. Carly Young about the implementation of the MySight lens into her practice and how she has a conversation with her patients and parents about how that lens works and the benefits of that technology for the patient. It was a really fun conversation to have. Please enjoy our conversation and as always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, write a review, share it with your friends and support those who support us. I mean, I think we're up on a year. Uh, a little over a year. And yeah. The, um, yeah. So I, I, um, 
I had a patient, so we've been doing the same thing as you. We've been doing myopia management in our practice for years and years, and we've been using some some other types of lenses. And I had a patient that was in a different type of lens. And, and actually, like, everything had been stable. Um, and, and so we didn't change her at that time. We had this, a conversation about it. We had a conversation with the parents. Her parents didn't want to change because they, they had had a decent effect. But then two things happened. One is um, the, the um, manufacturer ships, so we were direct shipping. So they shipped her a spherical version of the uh, multifocal lens that we were uh-huh. using. And so she went for, like, I don't know, a month, maybe two months, and we didn't know about it. And then, um, and then she, uh, fortunately, she didn't progress in that in that month or two months, but the parents noticed that the boxes were a little different, finally, after a couple months. So she came back in and we put her back in that other lens. She's like, it's not, it's too blurry. Like she, she had had the exposure of, she, a she spherical. had never worn contacts before. Yeah. And so she hadn't had the exposure of a spherical lens. Well, so the, the beauty of it was, is knowing what you had just said is like, I, I agree with you. I think the optics of, of the, the tolerability of any peripheral blur with my sight is really good for, for kids. Yeah. And so in this patient, she couldn't tolerate, even though she hadn't progressed, she couldn't tolerate the blur she was used to before with that, that other soft multifocal. And when we put her in the my I was like, oh, great. That's fine. Right. And so right. it was, it was, a it was to me that was really eye-opening that the optics were so much better and that secondary kind of thing that we say yeah you're going to notice it's not that big a deal was just a non-issue so i thought that was pretty cool when you think about those types of patients like that that um that miss appointments or that have progressed uh, not necessarily with a contact but like also you know they've been on the screens for a long time maybe they missed something uh, over covid and now they're coming back in their parents know does that seem to how, how does that conversation go and what is um what does that look like when you're when you're changing a patient from that into from what they were doing before uh so that has you know that's been a a big deal um especially here in uh in texas right now is pretty much when we were starting to reopen last year after quarantine so we had closed the offices for i believe it was about eight weeks that we had to be closed and so just the way that the cycle of reminders work right now, I'm getting a lot of those patients in that decided just to not come at all during quarantine. Um, and uh, along with the virtual learning that's been happening for the past year, um, a lot of those kiddos have had progression that maybe we had said we were going to monitor or that wasn't a concern at the time. And now I find myself with every myope, I'm with their parents, I'm discussing myopia management and, um, you know, really letting them know, like, this is something that we need to do because, you know, and I, I try to ease parents' minds and, you know, make sure that they know the virtual learning was a necessity. So is it the only thing that caused progression in their vision? Probably not. No. Can we do better this summer getting outside more and updating our glasses? Absolutely. Um, but I do try to, you know, make sure they know, yes, I think studies, I think the research is there that's going to show us that, you know, this year of virtual learning has not been good on myopic kiddos. Um, but I also want parents to, you know, be realistic and um, not not feel too guilty about about it. Um, but I do think I mean, that... that we live in. And I think that... Uh, yeah, exactly. The- the challenge is that, it, you know, I think in a lot of cases, there can be this 
false sense of hope. We're like, just send your kids outdoors. Like, yeah, that's great. True. But but and par- when I talk to parents about it, I'm like, yeah, that's wonderful. You should do that. It helps us definitely prevent or, or reduce the onset of myopia. Exactly. But like, once you're in this, we can't just be like, okay, well, no more Zoom meetings. It's never going to no. happen. Like, that's not practical because that's even, even after uh, COVID, right? Even after we get beyond this. I mean, this is what we do, right? Like it's part of our world. It's built into the cake and it was coming. It just was accelerated. So I think right. this idea of like, uh, cause I hear, I, I agree with you. I think that there's people that, you know, just think, Oh, well I'll just send, I'll just tell you people to like, put kids outside. It's like, that's fine. And that's really good, but it's not practical. That's not, and that's not the only solution. I think that's what's so important is, um, you know, that's, that's one thing and that's easy to do, but these changes, especially for kiddos that did progress, those changes have happened and we don't know how to reverse it, but we can slow it down because, you know, maybe they've started on this cycle of a half diopter change every three to six months. And we, we want to halt that while we have a chance. Um, so I do think that having that discussion motivates parents a lot more. Um, and to be able to do something that use the MySight lens and do something that is FDA approved and well-researched. Um, I do feel like some, a lot of parents are more, um, they're kind of really keen to that information and ready to do, ready to take action. Um, and so when I would say prior to the pandemic, the, my conversation with parents may have taken two or three visits. It would be the annual exam, first discussion, a three month follow up, second discussion by six months, they're like, okay, I, I think I'm ready. Let's go ahead and try the contacts. Now it's annual exam that maybe hasn't happened in two years. We see a big change. We discuss that change and they're like, let's do it. Let's try the contacts. Um, and uh, well, wait, we get moving on that. Protocol. How do you differentiate between those kids that you're going to see back, let's say, at a year? Uh, versus the kids that you're going to see back at three months or six months? Like, what's your determination on on whether or not you're, you're saying, like, this kid's really going to be a progressor or this kid's probably not going to progress? What's- I think a, a lot of it has been learning by experience what I'm comfortable with for my patients. Um, the more history I have with that patient, the more comfortable I will be at saying, you know, you're good. You, you had a quarter change. It's been a year and a half. We're going to stick to one year. Um, if I see a new kid, an eight-year-old myope, um, or even even of minus a half, if they are anywhere in that risky range and it's their first visit with me, I bring them back in six months, pretty much no matter what. And I explain maybe, you know, even if they're Plano and eight years old, I explain to their parents, look, they don't need glasses today, but there are some risk factors that tell me they might need glasses sooner. And the sooner we address that when it's needed, the better. And so um, six months tends to be my go-to for those lower kiddos or a first-time visit who doesn't have a family history or other factors. Um, And then if I have a kiddo who first time, they're like a minus two, both parents are minus six myopes. Um, they have an older sister that's a myope, something like that. I'm seeing them in three months. Hmm. Um, and again, I think I've had a lot of parents are, they're, they're totally okay with that. They would much rather be proactive in that way. 
um, especially when I explain why I want to see them more frequently. But um, Dr. Young, yeah, that's okay. Um, is my insurance going to cover that next examination? <laughs> that is always the next question. Uh, and no, they are not going to. Um, we have, um, in my office, this has worked out well for us. We have a myopia refraction um, exam. So it's uh, priced like a, a lower level office visit. Um, and I, and tell them that right up front, right when I'm telling them that they need to come in. And most parents are, are perfectly okay with that. They, they're prepared for, uh, for that. And, and I tell them, look, you know, this might be something that medical insurance will cover in the future, but right now um, that tends to be lagging behind technology and um, importance in healthcare. And so we, we need to get them in and, and whether or not it's covered are more accepting of that than, than I think most doctors think they will be. So I think the hindrance in many cases of that conversation winds up being, yeah, it winds up being like, oh, I, I don't know if I can have them back in three months. How do I charge for it? How do I bill for it? Like, seems like you've solved that problem. And it's not really a hard problem. Exactly. Yeah. And so then, then you, um, I think this is a good conversation, Carly, because I, I want to dig in a little bit deeper without talking about specific fees, but with the idea of, your time is worth something. Uh, and it's actually worth quite a bit when you actually analyze that data. And patients are really willing to pay for that time and that expertise because if they don't feel like they have to, um, you know, I think, I think in, in a lot of ways, it builds in this idea that like, look, if, if, if your child doesn't need glasses or contact lenses, like I'm not going to prescribe them just because I'm making money on that thing. I'm going right. to see you and I'm going to take my expertise and you're going to pay for that. I think there's a lot to be said there. Um, and I think, so how, how do you embrace that and how do you kind of calculate what is that kind of myopia refraction um, time it's going to take and, and allotment? Did you go through a process with that or you just sort of said, here's a, here's a number. Uh, the way that I came about it was we had um we kind of have our, our standard refraction fee in the office. And so when I have a patient back for these follow-up visits, it is generally a refraction visit. Um, we don't have a um, biometer at the moment to measure axial length. Um, that is something that I'm hoping to add in. And this may change how I, I do things at these follow-up visits, especially. But right now, it's mainly um, refraction. But the education and the time I spend with parents um, at those follow-up visits is so much more than your typical, um, you know, adult that may have had something where they just need their uh, refraction changed up real quick, you know, where there's right. not a lot of right. education. Um, so I took our kind of baseline refraction there and then tried to value, kind of average out how, what is the time that I spend in this education with parents um, and put a value to that. And then I put those two numbers together and that's kind of how I came up with our myopia um, follow-up cost. Um, and so, you know, you and I've kids, been doing that so for that, about two years now and patients, like I said, they, with the right education and, and upfront um, letting them know upfront, I haven't had, I haven't had much pushback at all. Um, and I think you brought up a good point that, you know, they don't want 
their kid to have glasses or a change if if it's not necessary. And they would much rather me be following them closely every three months than just say, you know what, just push the quarter prescription and I'll see you in a year. Um, That's not good for the patient. That's not good for um, anybody. And I think letting parents know that and letting them understand that you want to follow their kids so closely for, for um, important reasons. I think that goes a long way. Does everybody in your practice manage it the same way you do or, or does do? Um, they, they do not, we actually do a lot of you um, or from other people. Uh, say that again. Sorry. Oh, no, you got it. I was just asking, you know, how do you manage other doctors in your practice and outside of your practice sending patients? Or are you encouraging all those doctors in your practice to do the same thing you're doing? So I think slowly but surely, so there are nine doctors in our office. So there's a quite a mm. bit of, um, you know, inter-office referral, which is really excellent. Um, two of us are pediatric specialists. So we definitely, we both will see patients. We have a very similar follow-up schedule. Um, and then uh, we're kind of very much in tune with one another since we are the major. we see the majority of kids um, in our offices. Um, the other doctors are, I encourage them right now, they tend to send us the kids. So they will see, maybe they'll see a patient they've seen for a while for an annual checkup and they'll have a jump in prescription. And then they make that inner office referral to me to further discuss myopia management and see if we want to do any treatment moving forward. Um, that has kind of been how we have worked it out. Um, I do think that the, the other doctors who they're not as interested in pediatrics, they're more general practitioners, um, but they're seeing how myopia management is growing and are becoming more comfortable with some of that follow-up protocol. So we review that, you know, we talk as, as a team and go over um, that uh, kind of what, what my thinking is with the three-month follow-up, six-month follow-ups. So a few of them will do follow-ups until they feel like they need um, a treatment, and then they'll send them to me. Um, and others will just mm-hmm. say, you know, you're a myopic kid. I saw you today, but you need to see Dr. Young next time. Come back in six months and see her or go see her next week because I really think you are a good candidate for my site. Um, and they'll get, get them on my schedule. Um, so it's a little bit right now, I think it's a little bit fluid. It just depends on each doctor's comfort level. Um, but I do think that they really appreciate having um, easy access to a my, my site doctor um, where they can just be like, yep, this kid's a good candidate. Go see Dr. Young. Come on over. Do you find that, um, do you, have you gotten any outside office, like other offices sending you? sending you patients? Uh, Yes, uh, we have. I feel like that's actually picked up more in the past year or so. Um, And well, even in in the past few months in 2021. And I think that probably has a lot to do with um, the optometry community just becoming more aware of uh, myopia management in general and the MySight Lens and Brilliant Futures program together. Um, So I will have doctors who 
patients. I do think when that happens, it does tend to be more patient um, initiated. So mm. they might be seen and be asking that doctor, hey, what can we do? I, you know, I'm not satisfied with just glasses. And then that's when a, another doctor from outside of our office may say, well, I'm kind of at my limit, but I know Dr. Young does the my sight lens, so I'm going to send you to her. Um, and that I think has been happening more and more frequently, which is, which is excellent. Yeah, I think it is really good. And it's kind of this tricky situation when that happens, because, you know, on the one side, especially when you're dealing with younger kids, like, you know, you know, younger kids bring families and they also bring, um, you know, they're going to be there for a long time in your practice. So I, I would assume that there's a, a little bit of a challenge with um, with that referral coming to you from the original provider or just mentally, I mean, it, it clearly is the best thing for the patient based on, you know, the, the fact that they're not comfortable with those next stages, but the, um, the idea of, of like, how do you manage that so that the patient understands, I mean, this is really important. The patient understands like this doctor did exactly what they should do. They got to their comfort zone and then they were outside of it. So that actually should build trust with the rest mm -hmm. of the family for that referring doctor. So I think, I think on the one hand, like when we get re referrals and, and we get the same thing, we get referrals to be really delicate with those because we don't want the, the patient being like, well, I can do everything else here. It's like, no, actually you, that doctor was really ethical and really aware of, of the fact that they were outside of where they wanted to be. And so they needed somebody else that should really speak volumes to that patient. And I think as the referral, as the, the doctor taking a referral, it's super important that we communicate that to the patient on those on, are, are you actively doing that? Or, and, and if you are, what does that sound like um, when you're talking to the patient about those things? Yeah, that's, that's definitely something um, I am trying to actively do, you know, I'm better at it sometimes than others. Um, but I think uh, the, what makes that easier is when there's open communication between me and the referring doctor. So I know, mm -hmm. oh yes. Okay. This is, they're sending me this patient. And I know that before I walk in the door so that I can, like you said, make it really clear to the patient, look, that doctor did absolutely everything they were supposed to up until they, you know, they don't have access to this lens. This is a specialty lens, kind of a specialty treatment. So they sent you to me, which is, exactly what we you know want to do for our patients. Um, and then I think that's where, especially with the MySight lens, how it's set up um, in general, letting the patient know, you know, this is a, a special type of care. This isn't your typical mm -hmm. eye exam. Um, and that's why you need to come here for this, but for your own, maybe for your parent, the parents' exams, um, they should feel comfortable and stay confident in that referring doctor. Um, I do try to, if I make, usually they come in with an all with their glasses prescription already updated from that doctor. But if they don't, I do try to make a point of letting them know, like, here's the prescription that we're basing our treatment plan on. But that is, you know, you should go back to your regular eye doctor and um, fill that there. And, and let them continue that care that they've given you for, you know, prior years. Um, and then yeah, communicating, I, mean, I think communicating with the, the other doctor themselves is really important. So I do try to send a summary 
back to them so they know, okay, this is what we're fitting. Um, this is where we're at. And then, you know, if they see them again for their annual, they can know what we've been doing in the meantime, as far as the, the myopia management goes. Yeah. You know, you brought up a point about a specialty lens and I, I, I've, I've been talking about, uh, I don't know if you know Aaron Warner, but Aaron and I have been talking about this back and forth a little bit, but he's very succinct in this. I mean, you know, one of the mistakes I think that we make as clinicians is we, we talk about, and, and it's, it's normal because we've gotten used to this with a, with a soft contact lens. Those of us that do a lot of other uh, um, specialty things like orthokeratology or scleral lenses um, are, are a little probably better because we're aware that that we're using things as a therapeutic device in many cases. But the same, I think, applies in this case with the MySight is that, you know, you have this, you have this device and we're, we're not seeing how the device works in you, right? We know how the device is going to work. We already talked about the FDA data and it's not about like, oh, do you prefer this or do you prefer that? I mean, it's really about, I mean, we want that. That's a secondary objective, but, uh, communicating to the patient that like, this is, you, you don't, you don't uh, send your patient to an orthodontist to get um, braces to see if they work, right? right. They get the braces. We know they're going to be uncomfortable at times. We know you're going to have to, you know, you're going to break something or you're going to put um, wax on something so that you're, it doesn't irritate your mouth, whatever. Like, clearly we don't have to do that with, with the MySight lens. But the point is, is that we, we should treat it more like a treatment device uh, than a than a contact lens that a patient might prefer this one over that one. What do you think about that? And how's your approach to talking with patients about it? Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. We should be thinking we should be thinking of it more in that treatment device manner, so that it comes across that way to patients. Um, and it's a fine line, I think, to to balance in the education because parents are familiar with the general soft contacts they may have been wearing for, you know, a number of years. And that comfort can be really beneficial in, in helping convince them to put their kid into contacts, into my sight lenses. But at the same time, I want them to understand that this is a specialty soft contact lens. So um, the way, the way that I go about it is I, I tend to tell parents, I'm like, this, this new, this lens, the MySight lens we're going to try is it fits and feels on the eye like a regular typical contact, but it is specially designed with distance power and uh, peripheral defocus to help control or slow down changes in myopia. Um, and so I try to separate, yes, you are going to get the comfort and the usability of a lens that maybe you're more familiar with, but the technology and the optics of the lens are something completely different. And that's what really makes this lens special and why we need to use it and why it's like, it's the lens we need to go with. Um, and I agree kind of having that mindset of this is what we're doing. This is not one of eight lenses we're going to be trying. Right. This is the right. lens that's going to work that we are, uh, you know, fitting to slow things down. Um, so I try to try to make that balance yeah, I think it's so, uh, yeah. with patients. No, please go ahead. I, I interrupted. Oh no, that that was it. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's it's really important to have that that communication portion and even the mindset, right? Even the mindset of like, yeah, this is what's best. This is what's right. I'm, 
and, and unless there's something clearly off about the fit or the vision, um, you, you know that you're doing what, what you need to do in order to, to manage that patient's myopia. You've been, you said at the beginning of our conversation that you've had this now for a little over a year. Do you recall your first patient that you fit in this lens and how they're doing? Uh, yes. My first patient, um, I believe he was actually the first patient in the nation to um, be fit in my site. So that was pretty cool. We didn't uh, know that brushing at your the shoulder time, off right now. but I am. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I was just so excited because I had been to the launch um, back in January of 2020 now, um, went to the launch in Miami post uh, or pre-pandemic. Um, and then had the lens in my office early February of 2020. Um, and so um, this was uh, a kiddo who was very active in sports. Um, and he had actually tried regular contacts, um, regular daily distance only contacts. Um, so he had been wearing those for about a year and then came in with a big jump in prescription. I think it was about a diopter in maybe nine months, um, somewhere around there. So he was pretty motivated and his mom was extremely motivated to see if there was something else uh, we could do. Um, and so I fit him in the MySight and um, switched him over and he had no trouble switching, which was really exciting at that time because at the time I had been you know, coaching patients that vision was a little different. Um, it didn't, didn't bother him at all. Um, he just got in that lens and then I saw him, um, in March of this year. So it had been, I had seen him for a six month follow-up and he was doing fine. No changes. We continued with his current prescription. Um, and then I saw him back a year later, which would have been, um, I think he ended up coming in March of this year. Um, and he was still stable. We didn't have to make an update again. Um, so that was just super exciting, both for him and for me, um, to see that, uh, success with the, with the lens. Um, and then, you know, it's kind of moved from there with, with each patient. Uh, it's exciting to be seeing them come back now that it's been, um, a year and a couple months seeing patients come back for a full year. I've been following and up, following them up more frequently, but to make it to that 12 month mark is, is something special. Do you, um, so I think that's really, I mean, we're, we're now getting beyond this period of time where it is, um, where, where you're kind of like, we're seeing in real clinical experiences, what we've seen in the FDA data. I think about the idea of, you know, you made, made a point of how stable patients are mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, I'll probably discuss some of the other Arvo topics later, but I think the uh, important stuff is, is that like, we're now getting like into this four five, six year data in, um, in knowing not only is this lens safe to wear, but it's effective. And we're going to start being able to understand things like, okay, well, once the kid stops growing, then what do I do? How do I taper off of this? And right now we, we don't exactly know that, but I think we're getting close to knowing it. So I guess my point in, in asking that question was just thinking, thinking about like, you know, these are questions that doctors bring up all the time and they, these what ifs and, and we're getting closer and closer, not just to knowing about like intuitively what we would do, 
but also like, okay, what is, what do we know to do based on the evidence? And I think that's going to be really exciting to be able to to tell that story as well. That just, is it safe and effective, but what do we do when we're done? Um, Absolutely. And that's a question. And that's a lot of a question. A lot of parents have as well, especially when you, when I fit an eight-year-old in my site contacts, then the parents are very much want to know, you know, how long are we going to be in this lens? Um, They see the success in it and they want to continue as long as necessary, but they're also um, anxious to, to know, you know, what is, uh, what is the end point here? Um, What's your thought on on the end point? Like in your mind, what are you, what are you looking for in general? Yeah. So I, there are, and this is what I tell patients. There are multiple factors that I, I try to keep in mind. Um, number one is, is age. I do feel like, um, I'm going to keep them in the my site lens until they're at least 16 years old, at least right now, maybe studies will come out that will show me, I don't need to do this. But right now my, my, uh, method is to tell parents, you know, we're going to be in this lens until our mid teenage years, 16, 17, sometime in there. Even if we have great stability at ages 9, 10, 11, even if we're really stable, we still know that they're in that growing stage and I'm going to keep them in the my site. Once we hit that mid late teenage years, then if they've been stable for multiple years, that's when I would consider taking them out, letting them go into a single vision distance only type of contact. Um, but if I see that at 14, 15, they're still progressing, I'm making even these quarter changes every six months, every 12 months, then I, then I encourage parents to, you know, we might stick with it a little bit longer. Um, and then uh, I try to tell them, you know, especially with all of our technology now, all the up close work, um, all of the computer work, it may be a lens that we need to be in a little bit longer. And I'm upfront with them that these studies are ongoing. We're getting more information as we go um, and that this plan may change. But a lot of parents, I think, are pretty comfortable comfortable with that. So it's exciting now that you know we have a few years of more mainstream myopia management. We have one year of my site um, information, just practical use information as well. Um, and then these studies that are helping to even further that, uh, I think that it's going to be really exciting to kind of see what we can do and, and fine tune all of our approach to, to myopia. When you think about like the engineer father or mother that, um, wants to know why this is different or how this is different than a normal lens, or even maybe how it's different than a, than another soft multifocal. What does that sound like when you have that conversation? Um, that conversation, I, I, I use my hands a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, and I also use the, uh, a lot of the images that my site has actually given us in our education book. Um, I'm such a visual learner that I, you know, I think that's how I find it easiest to explain to patients as well. Um, but what I try to explain to them is that, you know, this may look like a regular contact, but the the design of the lens is the power within the lens is what really sets it apart. Um, and I do a lot of, you know, distance in the center 
There's distance power in the center. That's going to give us our clear vision, our regular vision, our functional vision. Um, so you don't need to worry that we're, you know, diminishing anything. And then there's that ring of, I call it to patients, I call it reading power. Um, peripheral defocus is a little, you know, not a term that they mm -hmm. love. They're like defocus. What's that? Um, so I explain it more as um, there's a plus power or a reading power around the edges. And because the back of our eye is round, that helps to keep the signals for growth in the peripheral mm. vision, keeps those signals for, for growth inside the eye and stops, um, stops that growth from happening. Mm, um, I like that. I like signals so for growth. Yeah, that is, that's like my key term is, you know, we want to stop those signals for growth and that happens in the peripheral vision so that we still have our functional center vision. Well, one of the other thing that you brought up that I, that I want to uh, pick apart and, and have you kind of talk about a little bit is this idea that you might have to change patients, you know, a, a, half, a half a quarter doctor or, you know, God forbid it's a half doctor, but, but the reality is, is that you still might get some progression. So I think that in, in some senses can worry a doctor, right? It's like, um, I talk about a lot. If you've heard me, if, if anybody's heard me talk, I talk about widgets a lot. And, and what I mean by that is like, you know, some, some of us will buy a, a piece of equipment or a piece of, of treatment technology and that widget becomes our thing. And when that widget doesn't do everything we want it to do for a patient, whatever it is, then we think, then it can be easy to be like, oh no, I failed. And then how do I, how do I approach that conversation with a patient when it didn't completely eliminate their symptoms or completely eliminate their signs? Mm -hmm. And I'm not calling, I mean, I guess we could lump this into the category of a widget, right? But like the point is right. that I'm, that I'm making is that, that like understanding your limits, understanding the evidence is, is I think really important and having that conversation on the front end for, for parents and patients to say, look, we are trying to slow this down, but, but remember slowing down is not halting. And so when a patient continues to progress, how do you, well, let me ask it this way on the very beginning, how do you explain the difference between progression and halting in a way that, that is going to allow the patient and the parent to understand that that's the goal, that reduction in progression is the goal and not halting. And then when they do progress, even at small amounts, how do you explain that as well? What does that sound like? Yeah, I think my, my conversation starts with uh, letting parents know a lot of their first question you know, let's say it's a, a new myope um, kiddo. The first thing the parents ask is, well, are they in glasses forever? Or, you know, can't, is there a way we can eliminate this completely? Um, and I start by saying, no, once, once it's there, what's there is there. So we can't reverse it and we can't stop it completely because they're growing. They're naturally, that's what's happening, but we can slow it down. So I try to be really clear right up front that um, we can't reverse it, we can't halt it, but there are ways that we can keep them from changing super rapidly um, with a goal in mind of keeping that risk of myopic uh, health issues lower. Um, and so that is, I try to kind of start with that. And then it does take a lot of reminding to parents, especially if we go ahead and start treatment and then 
their kiddo is stable for uh, six months. And then we see, you know, then we need to make a quarter adjustment. Um, I try to help them understand that is not failure. What is, that is a success really. What is, what we're wanting is to not see a patient go from a kid to go from, you know, a minus one to a minus two in six months. Um, but if they're going from a minus one to a minus one and a quarter in six months, yes, we're not stopping it completely, but we have made tremendous improvement from what would be happening if we did nothing. Um, so I think that that education is is really important there, um, as when always. When you think about, yeah, I think I think that that is important. And then I think also the other other thing that I think is a limiting factor for doctors that I, that I just want to point out is that because I I find it myself that, that I'm I'm not being critical of others. I'm I'm being critical of myself. Is that I always have to resist this temptation of feeling like okay, I'm going to do this thing, and I have to remember that this thing isn't always the, uh, isn't always going to, um, completely eliminate something else. Like in this case, it's mm-hmm. not going to, compl- I have to make sure in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, there might still be progression, right? But chances right. are there's, it's going to be significantly slower and maybe, maybe we won't, but I have to be aware of that going in so that I don't feel like my treatment is a failure because my reaction to those progression is, is going to be completely to any potential progression is going to be completely evident to the patient when they're sitting in my chair. And I can't have like this, oh, this failed. Because one, it didn't fail. And and I have to believe that. And two, my reaction to any changes can't be, oh man, geez, oh gosh, I wish, I wish this would have worked better. It's like, no, it worked exactly as it was supposed to work. It just turns out that this child was going to progress at a, at a greater rate. And we were, you know, and and we couldn't, we couldn't eliminate it all. Right. So Right. So I think my point of, of saying that, that is mainly for my, like, you know, look, we, we treat glaucoma all the time and congratulations, by the way, um, on your new scope of practice change. Yeah, in Texas. that's very but, exciting. Um, but the, uh, yeah, it's awesome. Um, yeah. but the, 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 the point I was going to make with that is just that like we treat glaucoma all the time. And, and what do we, you know, patient that is, uh, we, we start by saying, look, we're going to reduce their pressure by 30% and we're going to monitor them. And if we get to 30% pressure reduction and they have no change, it's wonderful. But if they do have changes, well, we have to do other things or we might have to, you know, or there might be acceptable changes. If that patient is 85 or 90 years old, there might be an acceptable slow progression that additional treatment burden is, is too challenging with glaucoma. So we make these decisions and and we're trained in other ways to monitor disease and to monitor uh, our treatment of that and not to feel like it's completely a failure if it doesn't always halt everything. Um, And so I think I just remind myself with this type of stuff that that might be the case as well, or that it is the case. Do you think that, um, that, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. One, one quick point that helps at least helps me um, is I've really tried to move away from saying myopia control yes, and switching yes. to myopia management and, you know, to a patient that, that is just a, you know, just a different in terms, but mentally it helps me to remember, look, the goal here, control makes it sound like we are going to just stop it where it's at and just yeah. hold on <laughs> tight and keep it, you know, we're going to keep that minus two and it's not going to budge. Um, and that's not, that's not true. Myopia management really helps me to better express to my patients and just 
for myself that we're going to manage this. It's not going to go away. It's not going to stay right where it's at, but we're going to manage the change and the growth as the kiddos change and grow. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I, I think probably one of the last questions that, cause it does come up often is, okay, so um, what about, about LASIK and is LASIK different than what we're doing with this contact lens or can my child still have LASIK after they've used this contact lens? I mean, what, 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 what is your, or, or even more importantly, well, I don't really care how nearsighted my kid gets. Cause once they get to be 18, they could just have LASIK, right? Like what's your thought about that? How do you address that or preempt that thought from a parent right. or a patient? Yeah. So I, I try to explain to the parents and, and the kiddo themselves as well that, you know, the changes that we're seeing now are growth of the back of the eye. Um, and I think that's kind of an easy thing for parents to understand because their child is growing, they're growing taller. And just like you grow tall, your eye is growing long. Um, and so that change needs to be addressed now and we can address it using my sight contact lenses. Um, and then that's where my explanation of the signals for growth and uh, the back of the eye really is important. Um, and yeah. then I also on top of that, like to tell parents, look, we want to keep their number as low as possible to make them a good candidate for laser surgery when they are an adult. Um, I like, I want to make sure they understand, you know, LASIK surgery is not something that they can even consider until all of this growth is finished. Um, and then once it is finished, that number we're left with needs to be low enough that the laser can correct it, which means the lower we keep it now, the better candidate they're going to be. Um, so I try to address it in both ways, kind of what, what is it right now that we're doing and how is that different? And also, how is this going to help us if LASIK is something that we want for our kid or that our kid might be interested in when they are older? Yeah, they just have a whole bunch more options, right? Like exactly. it, it still opens up that option. It's really interesting, you know, one of the last comments I'll make just is a general observation about LASIK. But, you know, I don't know if you've noticed this in your patients, but I, I and I think LASIK is a great, a great but, but I think in, in, in the ones like patients have embraced this idea that LASIK is going to fix my eyes forever, right? And, and I don't know who started that myth, but it's, uh, and, and in fix, I think that's a very general term, but we'll just even clearly it's not from a health standpoint, but even from a refractive standpoint, it's a huge myth, but they've embraced it. The other thing is that I think is really interesting about LASIK. And it's just another comment that I'd like to get your reaction to is that I'll have patients that come in, you know, they might be 45, 50 years old with, um, let's say uh, half adapter of, of hyperopia or half adapter of myopia, um, and three fourths adapter is still, and and they're just like, oh yeah, it's fine. It's no big deal. And that exact same patient, if I was off in their refraction by the exact same amount, they would, they would not tolerate that at all. Like there's something in the mentality or the psyche of like, I had LASIK. I never, I, my vision is yeah. going to have to be really bad before I go back to glasses or contact lenses. We're like the patients who wear glasses or contact lenses. If, if, if we were off in their prescription that much, they would not be happy with us. Yeah, that is an interesting point. Um, it, it is, I think it is a lot of a, a mindset thing that you're, 
your eyes have been fixed. And uh, that's not, not always the, the case. Um, I also try to, especially when they're, when I'm seeing the whole family and I might see, you know, a mom of my myopic kid who had LASIK and I try to really emphasize the education in her exam that look, yes, you don't need glasses. You're okay with your 2020 happy vision, but the back of your eye is still a minus eight or whatever it may have been. So you do need to come in. We need to do that retinal exam um, and, and kind of make that really clear for their own eyes so that they can remember that same thing um, as they're thinking about their kids as well. Yeah, that's a wonderful point. So Carly, I'm going to be respectful of your time. This is a, a ton of fun. I could go... I could go on longer, but I know I, I told you it would be an hour. So, um, so thanks so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, it was a lot of fun for me as well.